Hey everyone, thanks for stopping in to listen to my latest sermon. It will begin in just a minute. Before it does, I want to ask a few things of you. First, if you are a regular listener to this podcast and you listen on some type of podcast host, would you subscribe? If you do that, then you'll be notified immediately when a new podcast is uploaded. And plus, we have some other audio content in the works, and if you'll subscribe, you'll be one of the first people to know about that. Along those same lines, if you find this podcast and these sermons to be helpful to your life, would you do us a favor and leave us a rating or review on your podcast host? Doing so helps our sermons be heard by more people, and as I've said before, we think that's really important. And finally, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, it would be great if you would consider making a financial donation. You can do that by going to creeksidebiblechurch.org/give. And actually one more thing, if God uses this sermon in any way to impact your life, please let me know about it. You can do so by emailing respond@creekside.me. It would Give me great joy to know that God used my words. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for Jesus. So we're talking about what it means to have a new life in Christ. And the book of Romans, we'll see it in our passage today, describes what we obtain as Christians as a brand new life. Jesus describes it, as I kind of open the series by talking about, uh, as being born again, in essence the same thing. And, and one question that we haven't answered, and we won't fully answer today, but I think we can begin to, I think it's important to begin to, one question is this, if we get this new life, how come we don't live like we have a new life? I mean, we're talking about these different ways that our lives should be different, these these different attributes, these different uh, character traits that should come after a person accepts Jesus. But it begs the question, what stops it from happening? I mean, why if we're born again, metaphorically speaking, why then do we not just totally act different? Why is everything just not magically different? And uh, I think that we can answer that question today, but before we do a couple of, of things, the first is, is this, uh, I think this series is so important, and I, I hopefully you found it to be important through three weeks, because what Paul says in, in this book called Romans in the Bible, what he declares about the importance of the resurrection in our lives is incredible. It, it's not it's not small potatoes, as somebody older than me might say. You know, it's not, it's not something that should be ignored. Whether you're not a Christian or you're a new Christian or you're a longtime Christian, I mean, the differences that Paul describes for this new life in Jesus that comes through the resurrection of Jesus is totally and utterly different. And if you're not a Christian, and you look at Christians and you say, I wish they'd be different. Well, well, this series is really here so that you can go, well, this is how they should be different. And if you're a Christian who's a new Christian, you say, well, I want to be different. And, and this series is here so that you can learn to be different. And if you're a longtime Christian that is different, you still want to improve and, and dive more deeply into this, this new life. And, and this series is here for you. And, and because of that, it's really important, I think, for us to say, 
why, why are Christians, why am I not as different as I would like to be? What is the holdup? What's preventing it? What's getting in the way? I mean, if I've been born again, if I've been, as Paul will say in our passage today, like caught up in the resurrection of Jesus, if I've been united to Jesus in his resurrection and I've started a new life, why am I not more different than I am? Why is life not uh, different than it is? And I The first answer to that question that Paul is going to give us in the book of Romans really lies in an attitude. And it's an attitude that I think is is just pervasive in the American church today and has been for uh, at least the decades that I've been alive. But interestingly enough, it seems to be one that was pervasive in the early church And so Paul speaks, it's so cool to me, and and this is what I like about this passage we're gonna look at today. He speaks to a first century audience about an attitude that was invading the church at the time, the first century church, the early church. But he also, in doing so, says something that is so valuable for us today. Now, Before we look at at what that attitude is that that I think a lot of us have or have had or have at least a little bit of uh, that's so pervasive in the American church and the first century church, before we look at that attitude, I just want to kind of maybe guess at where that attitude comes from. And I know that feels a little backwards to do it in this order, but I think it's the right way to do it. And and here's what I think this attitude comes from. Uh, We talked about how Paul had spent his entire growing up years thinking that he needed to follow a very strict set of rules in order to have a relationship with God. And if Paul disobeyed, broke, did not live up to these these high, high detailed standards that were in place to have a relationship with God, then Paul thought his relationship with God would be broken. And Paul wasn't alone in this. He was just a good Jewish person. All of the Jews would have thought just like this, I need to do this and 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 I need to avoid this, 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 this and this and this and this. And if I can do all that, then I can have a good relationship with God. And as I talked about last week, Paul all of a sudden has this encounter with Jesus And Paul's life has changed because he goes from a place of needing to follow all the rules and do everything right to have a relationship with God to going, wait a minute, I gain a relationship with God by believing that Jesus died and rose again for my sins and and then giving my life to God. Saying, God, because you gave me your life, I'll give you my life. And now Paul is traveling the countryside saying, hey, hey, Rules will never get you a relationship with God. Instead, it's this Jesus guy that gets you a relationship with God. It's what he did by dying on a cross and rising again. Now put yourself in the shoes of a first century Jewish person. And I think that the first question you're going to have is, well, what do we do with all the rules? I didn't mean for that to kind of rhyme, but what do we do with all the rules? What, what happens now? I mean, my whole entire relationship with God 
has been built upon doing right and avoiding wrong, and now you are telling me that that's not how I gain a relationship with God at all. That's not a a way to have a relationship with God. In fact, Paul, you're telling me that I could never get a relationship with God through the rules. It only can come through this relationship with Jesus by his death and resurrection. What about the rules? What are we going to do with all of this? And there's really two attitudes that kind of rise up from that question. What do we do about the rules? What about all these things that we, have, that we have worked so hard to build our lives on in order to be able to have a relationship with God? What do we what do, we do with them? And, and the first attitude that came was, well, hey, we just make everybody follow our rules. If you become a Christian, if you give your life to Jesus, then you do what every Jew has always done. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or not. Even if you're not a Jew, you need to do what we who are Jews have done forever. Paul writes, in fact, the entire book of Galatians in response to that attitude. But the other attitude is the one that we connect with because I don't think any of you are going Here's what I think about Christianity. We should all follow the rules of the Jews. That's how it should be done. N- nobody here probably has that attitude. The other attitude is the one that, that we have. But before we look at that attitude, I will say that many of you probably grew up in a family, in a church, where the rules were totally embraced. And not only were they embraced, but you were led to feel like a relationship with God was still built on following all the rules. We call that legalism today, and and maybe you grew up in a home where if you told a lie, you felt like or you were taught to believe that that even if just for a little while, God no no longer was going to want to have a relationship with you. And Paul, Paul shows up on the scene with people who thought just like, just like maybe your parents or, or your church growing up, and he says, time out, time out. That relation, that those rules are never going to make your relationship with God better or worse. It's all about what Jesus did for you. And so this other attitude rises up. And the other attitude can be seen so clearly in Romans 6.1. In Romans 6, 1, it says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In Romans 5, 20, Paul has said what I just said to you about the rules. He has said this, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Every time a person broke a rule, God's grace grew because it was able to overcome and abound even to the next sin and the next sin and the next sin. Every time a rule was broken, God's grace grew. And so the people say, just something that's so prevalent in our society, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Except we would never say it like that. We would never say it like that. We wouldn't even say it anything like that. We would never make it sound that spiritual. Maybe, maybe we would try, but, but they, they're like, well, look, this makes sense. Like, I'll just I'll just do whatever I want and I'll sin more because if I do, Paul, you've told us that grace increases. That's awesome. And so by telling this lie, God looks better. 
It's actually what they're saying. And, and, and it's so pervasive in their culture, so prevalent in the, in the culture of the early church that Paul even deals with it at another place in Romans. And he ends there by saying that people who declare this, their condemnation is deserved. He doesn't think very highly of it. But let me tell you how we would say this same thing. The way that I see the same attitude in us. Sometimes we say it out loud, but it's rare. But I know, because I've been a Christian a long time, that if you're a Christian, you think this, you feel this, you have this attitude, even if just at times. And if you're not a Christian, let me tell you this, that that the reason that you don't see a difference in the lives of many Christians that you know, even if you want to see a difference and you would hope to see a difference, the reason that you don't often see a difference is because of this attitude. And here's how we would say it today. God will forgive me anyway. Don't we have that attitude? Isn't that the idea that is in so many of us? Now look, we don't say that when we're in church settings. We don't go to our small group or show up on a Sunday morning and be like, here's the deal, Bob. I'm just gonna lie today because God will forgive me anyway. That's not how it works. It works like this. We're in a situation. A lie would benefit us in some ways. And we think to ourselves, well, I know I shouldn't lie, but I will. And let me tell you why I will, because God will forgive me anyway. You're all thinking about this guy over here and his noise. <laughs> I can just do it too. Will you pay more attention? God will forgive me anyways. It's the same in, in just about every one of the situations that, that we face where we are faced with the choice, should I give in to this thing that I know is wrong or should I not give into this thing that I know is wrong? And we ask ourselves, am I gonna do it? Am I not gonna do it? And I bet you that every time you have given in to sin, doing things that you knew were wrong, things that you knew God did not want you to do. I bet you every time, if you're a Christian, that you have chosen to do the thing that you knew to be wrong. I bet you that somewhere inside of you, there was this thought, God will forgive me anyway. This is the attitude. I mean, I stand up here on a stage week in and week out and say, hey, here's the deal. You're a sinner But good news, Jesus died for you. He rose again so that you might be set free from your sins. You might have forgiveness for your sins as we declared last week. You might be declared innocent despite your sins. We believe that as Christians. And so as Christians, when we face a choice, am I gonna live a new life or the old life? Somewhere inside of us is that attitude, that thought. God will forgive me anyway. God will forgive me anyway. And I think all over our country, churches are filled up with people who look no different than than what they were before they professed a faith in Christ, before they claimed to be Christians, because somewhere in the back of our heads is this idea that God will forgive us anyway. Now, I find it interesting that even if you're not a Christian, you say the same thing to justify the stuff that you do. You say like, eh, if there is a God, he'll forgive me anyway, right? I mean, that's the attitude of everybody, not just Christians. But it's so interesting to me that Christians are 
are right. If you're not a Christian, you're not right about this idea that God will forgive you. God forgives Christians. He doesn't forgive everybody. He forgives people who have placed their faith in his son's death and resurrection. But if you're a Christian, this attitude comes from truth. It comes from a place of being right. God will forgive you. And you're just saying the same thing that they said. What shall we say? If it's not about the rules, if rules aren't gonna get me a relationship with God, then should I just go on sinning so that God's grace increases? Because every time I sin, his forgiveness gets a little bit better. And this is what Paul responds to. And I think if you're actually going to live a new life in Christ, then this thought, this attitude, this, this heart, this idea it needs to be responded to. And, and you need to come to the conclusion that Paul has come to, that Paul teaches us in these next verses. Because if you don't, you'll spend your whole life, I think, you'll spend your whole life going, I wish that my life was different, but God will forgive me anyway. And here's what Paul says about this attitude that infiltrated the early church and infiltrates our churches today. He says, by no means... No, you should not go on sinning. We are those who have, notice this language, died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. That first phrase could be enough, right? I mean, Paul says that when we become Christians, we have actually died to sin. There has been a complete and utter break from this thing that we call sin. And again, and I've kind of alluded to this, but let me just stop and define sin. We believe as Christians that sin is any action, any thought, any word that goes against what God wants, that goes against what God has called us to. It's any time that we break the rules that God has given us. And Paul says, hey, here's the deal. You say, well, God will forgive me anyway when it comes to the questions of the rules. God will forgive me anyway. So should I just keep doing it? And Paul says, no, 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 by no means. Because you've actually died to sin, you've made a complete break from it. When you gained the new life, what died was actually the old life, the old life that was filled with breaking the rules that God had put in place. What we haven't said in this series so far is that our new lives actually come in the wake of a death. And what do we have as a death? It's the death of our old lives our old lives that didn't want to follow the rules, that were unable to follow the rules, that could not get away from disobedience to the rules. That life was crucified with Christ, as Paul says it somewhere else. And, and it was crucified with Christ, as we see here, in order that we may have this entirely new life. A new life that is not dependent upon following the rules but has a chance to follow those rules. 
This is, in fact, what's demonstrated in baptism, what Paul is, is describing here. And if you haven't been baptized, you should. Uh, but what happens in baptism is, is we take a person and we dunk them into water and then we bring them out again. And, and, and baptism is a very symbolic event. It symboli- symbolizes that, that we have given our lives to Jesus. But in the actual actions, we see incredible symbolism. As we go underneath the water... It symbolizes that that we are now connected to the death of Jesus, not only the death, as Paul says here, but the burial of Jesus. We go underneath as he went into the grave, and as we come out, we come out just as Jesus did from the grave, having risen from the dead. We are resurrected into a new life. And Paul looks here and he says, look, you're saying this. If breaking the rules increases God's grace, should I just continue to break the rules? And Paul says, here's the deal. All that rule breaking was part of the old life, but that old life is actually dead. And you rose up a brand new person. And so your attitude shouldn't be God will forgive. Your attitude should be brand new. I'm new. I want to do everything that I can do to please God, to glorify God, to honor God even though I know that following the rules will never grant me access into a relationship with God. Now, some people at this point want to say in theological circles that that what actually dies is our sinful nature. It's this part of us that, that, that is bad, that goes away when we are buried with Christ. But we shouldn't even see it like that. We should see it, and what Paul wants us to see here is that our old self entirely goes away, and a new self rises again. It's not as though, and this is the picture we sometimes have with like a good angel on one side and a bad angel on one side, and, and what Paul says is not just like, hey, you, you, you connect your life to Christ, you become a Christian, and the bad angel goes away, the demon goes away, and you're just left with this other one. He's saying like, hey, the influence in your life was all bad angel. And when you got buried with Christ, it died and you rose again as a brand new creation, filled with the Holy Spirit, as Paul tells us, filled with the Holy Spirit so that now you only want to live the life that God wants you to live. And he continues to explain this. He says, for if we have been united with him in death like this, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Jesus says we're born again. Paul says we've been united with Christ in his resurrection or a resurrection. And it's a beautiful picture that says, look, it's all brand new. And we should want to live in a way that is in line with the new life that we have. But here's the really, really good news. The good news is that Paul tells us that what transpires, what takes place when we give our life to Jesus is that we are connected to him in his death and his resurrection. And what it does for us is so powerful and so profound This is what Paul says, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, notice, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. That's one of the great 
parts of the Christian story, but the parts that, that is oftentimes forgotten. We think we're forgiven for sin, but Paul says we're actually not just forgiven for our sins when we become Christians. We're actually set free from sin, which means this. We now have the ability to not disobey God. But before we become Christians, this is what the Bible declares. We don't even have that ability. We might do some good things. In fact, a lot of people who aren't Christians do a lot of good things. We might obey God on certain points when we feel like it. But we are unable to break free from this thing that we call sin, this disobedience to God, this evil that exists in the world. We are unable to be set free, to remove it from our lives, to get rid of it to get away from it, we just can't. Now look, I think what's often forgotten in Christian circles is that sin sucks. I've done enough bad things in my life even though I've been a Christian long enough to know this, that while sin sometimes feels good in the moment, the aftermath of sin is always bad. It's never as good. And all of us, whether we've been Christians a long time, we're not Christians all, we, we all have an understanding that there is some serious evil in the world. And most of us, if we could step back from the things that we might call fun, that we might say we enjoy, most of us can see that this thing called sin is not really good, even if we don't really ever think of the word sin. Even if we just call it bad, we can all see that there's bad And there's a universal bad. There are certain things that we all know are wrong and not good. And sometimes we do them. Sometimes we do them. And if we're Christians, this is what's so cool about being a Christian, is that we have the ability not to do them. But apart from Christ, we did not because the old self, the one that was buried, it was just wrapped up, caught up, totally and utterly scarred by sin. But when we die, we rise again as a new creature led by the Holy Spirit in, a fam- in the family of God, in a relationship with God, and we are able to now avoid this thing called sin. I've seen uh, a couple of just really evil news stories this week. One hit a little close to home. Uh, My cousin is just finishing his MBA program at uh, the University of Texas at Austin, and uh, he sent me three texts that I don't know how quickly he sent them, but I didn't see them right away, but it was like major stabbing, I'm all right, right outside my building. I'm glad I saw the all right part um, while I saw the other ones and I, I got on the news sites and quickly discovered that a, that a man had just, had just taken a hunting knife and started stabbing people uh, right outside where my cousin Jared was. He was finishing up his classes right inside the building and this guy, I mean, he just walked up to a table, a normal kid, he just walked up to a table and just stuck his knife in somebody. And then, oddly, weirdest part of the whole story is he just nonchalantly walked away after he killed one person and injured three others. Like there was nothing at all. And, uh, and so evil hit a little closer to home with that, you know? And then, and then I saw this other story. This just popped into my news feed yesterday. But at Penn State, there, there was a frat party and a kid fell down 
uh, the stairs, like 12 stairs I think I saw. And nobody called an ambulance or anything for like all night and he died. They just let the kids sit there. It's so easy for us to just, I mean, in culture today to go, eh, what's right, what's wrong? But when you look at certain things, you just know, right? It's, it's bad, that's bad. Nobody, nobody goes, hey, I'm a little wishy-washy on those two incidences, whether that was cool or not. You know, that's not a thing. There is right and there is wrong. And what Paul is saying is apart from Christ, you can't do right all the time. Now, with Christ, you may not do right all the time, but you have the ability to not break the rules that God has put in place so that man and woman will do what is good. And this should excite us. It doesn't always. I don't know why it doesn't always. We like some of these sins, do we not? We go, eh, I, I, I know that I'm free from sin, but, but I, I want to give in to it and... Because I want to, God will forgive me anyway. And so what happens is we are drawn to these things. As Christians, if you're a Christian, you know you're still drawn to certain sins. I've told you before because it's the easiest example to give because it, it hits less close to home and you know that I never do this. Every now and then I have a thought and I don't know where it comes from. When I'm in a store, I think I, I could just steal that. Where did that come from? I stole one thing when I was six years old and my mom made me take it back. That's as far as that sin went. But every now and then I have this weird, this weird thought, like, oh, I could just take it. And I don't, and I move on my merry way. And so even as a Christian, a longtime Christian, there is still a draw to sin. Even the most ridiculous things that I would never do, there is still some draw. But as Christians, we don't have to give in to these sins. We don't have to continue to break the rules that God has put into place. So the question is not, am I able to avoid doing what God doesn't want me to do, do and vice versa? Am I able? You are able if you're a Christian. You no longer have to give in to that voice inside of you that says, just take it. Just do it. But you will. If your attitude is one of, God will forgive me anyway, and not an attitude that says, look, that part of me died. It's dead, it's gone, and I'm going to live in a way that aligns with the new life that Christ has given me, and even more, you will never live this new life if you're going, God will forgive me anyway, and neglecting what this passage says, notice, that our old self was crucified with Christ, we deserved to literally die. We deserved to die the worst, awfulest death, and we deserve to die it for eternity. That's what the Bible tells us. That's what I think we know somewhere in our subconscious. We deserved to be eternally punished, but Jesus did it. And all we have to do is say, Jesus, I believe you did it. I believe you rose out of the grave, and we get to be somehow spiritually killed with him without suffering, but we are spiritually killed with him and we get to become a new person, conquering sin and death forever. How cool is that? And as long as we neglect to love and be passionate about what Jesus did for us, 
As long as we take for granted the idea that our new life came because Jesus was crucified on a cross and we now get to inherit his righteousness, we now get to be connected to his death, unified with his death, as it says in our passage, without ever dying. As long as we take that for granted and just think, he'll forgive me anyway, our lives will look nothing like we want them to look as Christians. They will not be new at all. I believe that what stands in the way of us having a new life is that we forget what it cost for us to have it. We forget that a man, a God-man, was literally nailed to a cross and upon his shoulders as he hung on that cross was hell, hell. And he was actually laid into a tomb. He was buried. He was dead and gone. And then he rose again. And we just kind of dance. We like that idea. We think about it. We, but we just, we don't really care, right? We don't really think that's the only, what he did there is the only way, the only reason that my old self can die without me actually going to hell and I can have a brand new life. What Paul says is like, hey, 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 let me, let me make this clear to you. You don't follow the rules anymore so that you get a relationship with God. You have a relationship with God that allows for you to have a new life and be free from sin. And so therefore you ought to follow the rules because you now can. And then he says just this last few verses, he says this thing that, that to me just makes it more exciting. I don't know that it adds anything theologically, but it definitely, it, it, it pumps me up a little to live differently. He says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Now that's a reference to heaven. Uh, and we, we not only are, have a new life now, but what's even cooler maybe about Christianity is if you become a Christian, not only do you get a new life now, but you get an even better life later. And Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15, which you should read at home tonight, 1 Corinthians 15, the new life that we will get when Jesus returns or when we die, and it's going to be even better than the new life that we obtain here on earth when we become Christians. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him in eternity, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, notice this, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I love that last phrase because it's the opposite attitude of he will forgive me. We say he'll forgive me anyway. Paul says, here's a different attitude. Count yourselves dead to sin. It's over. It's been buried with Jesus. I conquered sin. I don't, I'm not going to give in to sin because it's not becoming my new life. It was part of my old life. And that old, that old Chad, that old man, that old person, that guy's dead. It's gone. It's been buried but I'm alive to Christ and I will live for Christ. The difference between people who demonstrate a new life in Christ and people who don't is that people who demonstrate a new life in Christ and you can see a changed life in Christ, they count themselves dead to sin. They say, well, that was part of the old person. 
And then they say, I'm going to live for Jesus because I know how much Jesus suffered so that I might have this new life. I know what Jesus suffered so that I might have this new life. I'll just ask you this. If you go, my life's not that different, I don't know. You know, this new life thing sounds good, but it's not that different. I'll ask you two questions. One, one question is this. How often, somewhere inside of you, do you have the thought or the feeling that Jesus will forgive you anyway? And on the flip side of that, how often do you consider the fact that when Jesus died, he gave you the opportunity to have a brand new life where sin was crucified and you rose up a person able to do what God wants you to do. Because if you spend most of your time thinking about what it costs for Jesus to give you this new life, then you'll want to live for Jesus. you want to be alive to Christ and you, you won't want to give into those old sins. You'll say, what can I do for Jesus today? The question will not be, will he forgive me anyway? Sure, but the question will be, how much can I live for Jesus because of what Jesus has done for me. I wrote it down this way and hopefully this will help you remember it. The resurrection turns the excuse for sinning, God will forgive me, into the reason for not sinning, God has forgiven me. Let me read that again. The resurrection turns the excuse for sinning, God will forgive me, into the reason for not sinning, God has forgiven me. The rules will never get you into heaven. The rules will never grant you access to God. They're not going to do it. God will forgive you anyway. But you ought to do everything you can do in your life for the glory and the honor of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus died so that you might be crucified with him without any suffering at all and he rose again so that you might have access to his Father God in heaven. You don't follow the rules to gain a relationship with God. You follow the rules because you've been granted a relationship with God. And if you will take that attitude, I believe, I do believe, if you will take an attitude of, Jesus, you died for me, you rose again so that I could have a new life, that's incredible. If you'll take upon you that attitude and you'll leave the attitude behind of God will forgive me, then you will see and you will have a brand new life. Let me pray for you, Lord. I pray that you would take what I've said this morning and, and you would uh, impress it deeply upon our hearts. And frankly, Lord, I'm not sure it came out of my mouth perfectly this morning or even in a great way, but that matters very little to me. What matters, God, is that you change our hearts uh, and you change our attitudes. And I pray, God, for every person, God, here with me today that's not a Christian, I pray they become a Christian people who will listen online, I pray that they would become Christians, Jesus. Because I know, Lord, that they, they neither have forgiveness for sins or the ability to break free from sin. And I know, Lord, that they feel guilt from their sin. And I know, Lord, that they have nothing to look forward to in eternity. And so I would pray, God, that you would bring them to you. And God, for those of us who are Christians, I pray that we would leave the attitude of God will forgive me anyway behind. I pray that that would not be a part of American Christianity, it would not be a part of our Christianity, God. 
But instead, Lord, we would take the attitude that Paul demonstrates in that final verse and we would remember and believe and God relish in the fact that we are dead to sin, but we are alive to you, Lord. And we would live our lives for your glory and your honor and your fame. I pray these things in your name. Amen.